Good day, everyone, and welcome back to our series on this much sought-after topic of love. We are now in episode three. Now, our series is all about love is and love does. Two weeks ago, Pastor Peter, when he introduced this series, taught us about what love is. And this is what he reminded us about. He told us that true love is really God's love. God is the source of true and genuine love. And it's characterized by the following. It's an unconditional commitment towards imperfect people to seek their highest good, which often requires sacrifice, but it will result to God's glory. That is what love is. Now, last week, we talked a lot about what love does. Do you remember? Love loves difficult people. Let me ask you, who are the difficult people in your life today? Think about the answer carefully. As a matter of fact, you know what? If you're with somebody else watching this video, I want you to turn to that person right now. Look them in the eye. That's right. Right now, turn to them and say what I'm saying. When I think of difficult people, I am going to look at myself in the mirror first. All right, folks? That's what you and I need to do when we think of difficult people. Look in the mirror first because chances are you and I can be difficult people to some people who are around us. Now, today's topic is a follow-through on loving difficult people. As a matter of fact, this topic is so important because it's about the test of true love. So let's begin. Let me ask you, did you receive perfume or cologne last Valentine's Day? Well, if you did not, don't feel bad. There's always next year. Or maybe you can buy it for yourself. But you know what? Many years ago, when I would visit a perfume or a cologne store, they would have a sign. And the sign would say, no trial, please. No testing, please. In other words, you could not go to the store and do this. You couldn't do that. Well, the perfume stores eventually realized they were wrong. Because perfume needs to be tested. People need to know if they're buying what they really want. They need to know if that is the real thing. So folks, true love will also be tested. And I submit to you, the best and the most difficult test of love is forgiveness. That is our topic today. Because without forgiveness, love is not genuine. So our topic today on episode three is very simple. True love forgives. Can we say that together? True love forgives. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the life of King David. We're going to take a, a portion of his life when he had just become the king of the entire nation of Israel. It was a very difficult journey, and I'll explain to you in a moment why that was so. But here now is King David for the very first time the king of the entire nation of Israel. 
But let me give you the background. And remember, this is a real story. This is not fiction, but it sounds like, shall we say, a tale of thrones, okay? So here is the background. Saul was Israel's first king. However, Saul disobeyed God and God chose instead David to succeed him eventually. Now, Saul, unfortunately, was a very insecure, selfish, angry person. And on multiple occasions, he actually tried to eliminate David. In the meantime, Jonathan, who was Saul's son, was actually David's BFF, very, very close friend. Unfortunately, over time, both Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle with the Philistines. However, that did not yet pave the way for David to be king over all of Israel. You see, Saul had a son. His son's name was Ish-bosheth. And Ish-bosheth installed himself or was installed as king in the northern part of Israel. And so there was rebellion, there was civil war, but eventually Ishbosheth was murdered at the hands of his own people. And once that happened, the coast was clear and David finally became the king over all of the nation of Israel. Wow, what a story, but it's real. And that's only the background. So here now we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where David is now the king over the entire nation of Israel. This is where our passage for today begins. And in this passage, folks, you and I are going to learn three things about forgiveness, about how true love forgives. It may not be totally comprehensive, but I promise you, based on the Word of God, when you and I apply what we learn from God's truth, we will be blessed and, of course, God will be glorified. So let's begin the story together. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Then David said, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul so that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, the word kindness here means goodness, mercy, unchanging love. Pretty much like the love of God that we've been describing in the last two weeks. Now, what are the implications of what David was saying at the time? When he mentioned anyone still left of the house of Saul, you and I need to realize that the house of Saul, the family, the clan, so to speak, of Saul was the enemy. Anybody who was left over from the family of Saul could potentially be a threat to David's either personal safety or his political future. But here David in effect is saying, I have already decided in advance to forgive this entire family beginning with Saul himself. And if there's anyone left over, I want to show them kindness, mercy, unchanging love, undeserved favor. And that's why our first point about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is unconditional. Now, why is this important? Well, some people may say, I am willing to forgive that person, but he has to come to me and he must apologize. Now, that may sound okay on the surface. As a matter of fact, I would say that if you or I offended someone, we must indeed 
apologize sincerely, humbly from the heart. But if we are the ones offended, we must forgive from the heart. Whether or not that person asks for forgiveness or offers an apology, we must forgive from the heart. Now you might say, whoa, that is radical. Yes, and so is the love and the forgiveness of God, as we will learn together. Our responsibility is to forgive them from the heart. Whether that person accepts or appreciates our forgiveness, that is beyond our control. David's decision in advance was to forgive anyone from the house of Saul. Now, how do we know that David harbored no malice, no anger, no bitterness towards Saul or his house? Let me show you. 2 Samuel chapter 1, this was the time when Saul and Jonathan had just been killed at the hands of the Philistines. And we read here, David took hold of his clothes and tore them. This is a sign of deep grief and mourning. And he modeled that for his people. It says, and so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. In other words, David did not tell his people, Jonathan's death, I am grieved. Saul's death, let's party. That creep is finally out of the way. That was not his attitude. He actually mourned over the death of both Saul and Jonathan. Actually, when Saul was still alive and hunting David down like a dog, David actually had more than one opportunity to kill Saul. But he never took that opportunity because of his fear of God. Well, let's go back now to our story. 2 Samuel 9.1, again, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul so that I could show him kindness? Now, look at this phrase. You and I need to catch this. For Jonathan's sake. Why did David say that? And why is that important to you and me today? We've been saying that we cannot give what we do not have. We cannot share with others what we have not received or experienced ourselves. You see, David experienced kindness from Jonathan once upon a time. Why is that? Logically, Jonathan was supposed to be next in line to the throne after Saul. Now remember, Saul saw David as a threat. So in Saul's mind, I need to eliminate David. Do you realize Jonathan could have taken the same attitude? Because if David was to be the next king, and yet Jonathan was next in line, it would have been politically advantageous for Jonathan to side with his father Saul and help him get rid of David. Does that make sense? However, that is not what Jonathan did. As a matter of fact, Jonathan helped David escape from the clutches of Saul. He actually helped David escape with his life. Now, what did Jonathan ask David to do? And why did David say, for Jonathan's sake? This is the background. 
1 Samuel chapter 20, this is now Jonathan speaking to David. David was not yet king. Remember, Jonathan told David, And if I am still alive, will you not show me the faithfulness of the Lord? This word faithfulness is the same word as kindness that we read earlier. Will you not show me the faithfulness of the Lord so that I do not die? And you shall never cut off your loyalty. Again, it's the same word. Your loyalty to my house, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. What was Jonathan asking David? Jonathan implied this. It's like he was saying, David, I know you will be king someday. And I know at this point, my father, our whole family, we are your rivals. We pose a threat to you. But I know God will fulfill his promise and make you king. And so when that time comes, Jonathan is telling David, will you, if I'm still alive, will you show me kindness? As a matter of fact, not just to me, David, but to our whole family who today stand as your enemies. Make a decision, David, in advance to forgive us and treat us with kindness that we do not deserve. That was Jonathan's message to David, and David agreed. And that's why in advance, David decided, whoever is left from this clan of Saul, this house of Saul, I will forgive them. I will show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Are we together so far? Now, this is so representative of the love of God, the forgiveness of God for you and for me. How do we know? Now, Pastor Peter showed us this verse at least once, maybe twice in the last couple of weeks. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love. Notice, God demonstrates, meaning love is, and what? You remember, love does. Correct. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. Now, let that sink in a little bit if it didn't sink in in the last couple of weeks. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is the implication of that statement? Let me tell you. It implies that God did not tell the world, just obey me consistently for one week, show me that you deserve my grace, and then I'll send you my son to pay for your sins. Folks, that is not what God said because that is not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. That is the definition of grace. And that's why the Bible tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me personally, it means that while I was in the thick of my addiction to pornography, my anger, my arrogance, God's forgiveness through Christ was already available for me. Now, is that amazing or is that amazing? Again, when you and I receive this forgiveness, this unconditional love, then we are able to pass it on or express it or offer it to others. Let me share this personal story with you. Once upon a time, God really 
caused something to happen in the lives of my wife and me that brought us together in much fervent prayer. What was this situation? You see, my wife had a good friend. She was also my friend, but she was basically a very good friend of my wife. And she was an experienced banker. And she basically made us an offer uh, how to help some of our funds grow because we were preparing for retirement. And so we agreed and we entrusted her with a, shall we just say, a very substantial amount of money. And she was saying, you know, after this period of time, you will receive the money back with some earnings on top of it. Well, folks, long story short, many, many years have passed. Not a single peso has come back to us. But by the grace of God, even if this lady was saying, you know, I'll do my best to give you back the money and so forth. Early on, by the grace of God, my wife and I had already forgiven her from our heart. And it was unconditional. As far as the money coming back, we said, Lord, it's really up to you. We surrender the outcome into your hands. And I remember one time, the Lord kind of tested my heart. It was during my one of my quiet times in at the balcony of our house. And I was kind of praying. Like I said, Lord, it'll be nice if, you know, we kind of got the money back someday because I'm now closer to retirement than I was a few years ago. But, you know, the Lord impressed something in my heart. I'll never forget it. It's as if he was asking me, if you could choose between one of these two things, which would you choose? Choice number one, you get the money back. Choice number two, this lady, your friend, who is not yet my true follower, she comes to know me as Lord and Savior. Which one will you choose? And you know, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed partly because I even hesitated for a while what my answer would be. But then, of course, I said, Lord, you know the answer. You know her salvation, her soul is priceless compared to this money. And so, by the grace of God, you know what happened? Sometime later, this lady, who's still in communication with my wife, she actually messaged her and she said this, you know, I watched a video message from CCF and at the end of the message, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah! What an amazing outcome. Indeed, the souls of people are far more precious. They are priceless compared to anything this world affords today. So, are we learning something? I certainly trust God we are. Let's go back to our story. So, forgiveness is unconditional. Next, verse 2 says, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they summoned him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Then the king said, listen to this, Is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God? So it's the same question, but the ending is different. Instead of just saying, for Jonathan's sake, he now says, I want to show them the kindness of God. What was David implying? David was implying that he understood that this kindness this mercy, this forgiveness, this love that he wanted to express to whoever was left in the enemy or the rival house of Saul was not from human origin. It was really from God. 
And then just to kind of cap it, it says here, And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, one who is disabled in both feet. We will get to that in just a moment. But what is the significance of this? The kindness of God. As I already said, David knew that this kindness was not of earthly origin. It was divine. But the reason again why he could say, I want to show the kindness of God to anyone from the house of Saul, it's because David received and experienced this same kindness himself. But before we go on, the second thing we learn about forgiveness from this story is that forgiveness is undeserved. Why is this important? Let me tell you. Some people will say, I will not forgive that guy. He does not deserve to be forgiven. You know what? If you're thinking that way, I'll tell you, I agree with you. 100%. That guy, whoever he is, does not deserve to be forgiven. But let me tell you something else. You don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be forgiven. That's why it's called grace, unmerited favor. And David knew what it meant to receive kindness that he did not deserve. How did he experience that? Let me rewind a little bit more. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now again, David was already the brand new king of the entire nation of Israel. And this was a, I guess, a meditative moment at that time in his life. And it says, David the king came in and sat before the Lord and he said, look at his three words. Can, you, can we all say these three words together? Who am I? Who am I, Lord, God? And who are the members of my household that you have brought me this far? David understood that God had fulfilled his promise to him. He was now king of Israel. But there's something he understood even better. He never deserved to be where he was. He did nothing to earn that. It was given by grace by God. And you know what? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can come into the same reflection and ask the Lord, Lord, who am I? Who am I that I should receive forgiveness by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus? Lord, who am I that I should see you someday and live with you in heaven forever? Lord, who am I that I should be the son of the living God? Forgiveness, God's love, God's mercy, God's kindness, God's grace, it is all undeserved. So let's now go back to our story. Remember, the servant says, Oh, king, there is one person, a son of Jonathan, and he is disabled in both feet. So the king said, Okay, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodebar. Then King David sent messengers who brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodebar. Now, this place, Lodebar, I want to I ask you to kind of tuck this in the back of your mind for a moment. The name Lodebar means pastureless, no pasture. In other words, it is a, a dry and a thirsty land. 
there is no produce, there is no fruit, there is no agricultural economy to speak of. Okay? Now, who, is, who was this uh, son of Jonathan who was disabled in both feet? Well, let's find out. Next, Mephibosheth. All right? Can you say that with me? Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a unique name, is it? And let me tell you, if you're expecting and your baby is going to be a boy, you might consider naming him David or Jonathan, right? Give him a break. But anyway, seriously now. So this son of, of Jonathan is Mephibosheth. And he finally comes face to face with King David. Now, let me ask you. Why was Mephibosheth undeserving of the kindness that David was showing him? I'll give you two reasons. Number one reason, we already said, he belongs to the wrong side of the fence. He is technically an enemy. Remember, David said, anybody from the house of Saul, meaning anybody who could be potentially a threat to him. So he was still technically an enemy. But there's a second reason, and I want to be careful when I say this because I don't want to be offensive. But objectively, Mephibosheth was helpless. And I'm not just talking about his physical condition. I mean, he even had to be dependent on somebody else. He had to live with some person in a, in a faraway place. And he didn't even bring any economic value to the table, so to speak, because the place where he came from was Lodebar. No pasture. So two reasons, at least, why Mephibosheth was undeserving of forgiveness or of kindness. Enemy, helpless. Why am I stressing these two things? Because that's exactly how the Bible describes you and me before we come into a relationship with God. What do I mean? Again, we've seen these verses in the last couple of weeks. Romans chapter 5 says, For if while we were enemies of whom? Of God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The word enemy here implies irreconcilable hostility. The key word is irreconcilable. But how were we reconciled to God? It's very clear. We were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. So, why are you and I undeserving of forgiveness, grace, love of God? Number one, we're enemies with God apart from Jesus. What was the second reason why Mephibosheth was undeserving of David's kindness? Because he was helpless. What about us? Does that apply to us? Absolutely. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, While we were still helpless. That's exactly the word. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The word helpless here means morally weak and sick. In other words, you and I are unable to justify our salvation before God 
through anything we could do. The Bible says that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. So we are really helpless. And the word ungodly, you know, some people might say, oh, excuse me, I am not ungodly. Well, let's look at the definition. The word ungodly here means having a lack of reverence or failing to honor what is sacred. Hey guys, let's face it. Anytime you and I sin, it simply means we are lacking in reverence for God. It simply means we fail to honor God who is holy. So folks, welcome to the club. Enemies of God, helpless. Where do we see Jesus addressing these two issues in our life? Well, we see it in Calvary while he was on the cross. Look at this. Luke chapter 23. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Folks, these people who put the nails in Jesus' hands, they were clearly his enemies. Imagine the sinless Son of God who became man and who came to live among us and sacrifice his life for us. They were driving nails into his hands like he was a common criminal. And yet, you know what? It was our sins that drove those nails through his hands. We were his enemies. But at the same time, we were helpless. How do we know? Look at the prayer of Jesus. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they're actually nice people? No, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In other words, they are helpless to save themselves. And you know, I realize it is really true. We are God's enemies, but we are also helpless. And it reminds me of a portion of a beautiful song that we would once in a while sing here in CCF. The song is, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And here's just a small portion of that song. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life and I know that it is finished. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> yes, indeed. And when you and I understand the forgiveness of God in our lives, we're able to pass it forward to other people who need it. What do I mean? Well, let me share with you another story. Let me tell you the story of a husband and wife. Both of them are medical doctors. Now, many years ago, before they were married, they kind of had an agreement. They said, you know what? Just in case, after we're married, okay, if one of us becomes unfaithful, we are dissolving the marriage. No fanfare, no noise, no raising of voices, no violence, just end the marriage and walk away. As simple as that. That was their agreement. Now, they got married 
Eventually, the wife became a follower of Jesus. And she understood about the forgiveness of God. Now, the husband was not yet a believer. And the husband cheated on his wife. Not only once, but several times. One day, the husband got a call from his wife. Remember, both of them are medical doctors. And then the wife asked him a question over the phone. Have you been unfaithful to me? And so the guy was shocked. How could she have known? She gave him the reason. Because I have acquired a sexually transmitted disease and it can only be from you. And so the husband went to see the wife and he told her, you know, do anything you want with me. You kick me, you hit me, whatever it is. Let it all out. But you know what the wife said? I will do no such thing because I'm a follower of Jesus. I forgive you. I forgive you. And then she said something else, something like this. She said, if this is what it takes, meaning this disillusionment, this disappointment, even the disease that I've acquired, if this is what it will take for you to become a follower of Jesus, so be it, I accept. Not long after that, the husband gave his life to Jesus Christ. And today, this whole family is growing in their relationship with each other and, of course, in their relationship with the Lord. If you want to give a clap offering to Jesus, go ahead and do it. He deserves that and much more. All right. So let's now go back to our story. Second Samuel chapter 9. David is now talking to, remember the name? Mephibosheth. David said to him, Do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now, I wonder, if and when you and I face the people who have offended us and we offer them forgiveness, will we tell them the same thing? Do not be afraid. In other words, I don't hate you. I'm not going to have a, an assassin salvage you. No, I, I'm not angry. Don't be afraid. I will assuredly show kindness to you. And what greater kindness is there than showing them or giving them the same forgiveness that we have received from God? And then he said, For the sake of your father, Jonathan. In our case, we forgive for Jesus' sake. Remember, love is always resulting in the glory of God. Now, what else did David tell Mephibosheth? He said, I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. And you yourself shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? Man, this is unconditional. It is undeserved. But the other thing, the third thing we learn about forgiveness is that it is unlimited. Why is this important? Well, some people will say, okay, even if he does not come to me to apologize, I will forgive this time. But a second time, I'm not sure. Strike three, you're out. 
Well, folks, why do we say unlimited in the case of David? Remember what David said to Mephibosheth? I will give you all of the land of your grandfather Saul. I'm not even sure if David knew how much land there was. You know, David could have said, I'll give you a little plot of land so you will survive. And people would have said, wow, what a great king. But he said, I'll give you all the land. And then he said, you will eat at my, ta at my table, not only on my birthday. You will eat at my table regularly. And later on, we will see the implication of that statement. In the meantime, Peter and Jesus, once upon a time, they had a conversation about this whole issue of forgiveness being unlimited. What do I mean? Well, in Matthew 18, Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, most commentators agree that Jewish teaching or tradition says you should forgive up to three. Three times. Just like three strikes. Okay? Now, perhaps Peter was boasting. Perhaps he was saying to Jesus like, Oh, Jesus, huh? seven times. Oh, huh? oh, huh? seven times. That's more than double the requirement. But you know what Jesus told him? I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Uh, 70, hang on. Remember, uh, Peter was an ordinary guy, but he was also a businessman. So he probably took out his calculator and then he put here 70 times seven. Lord, I can't even count that high. Well, see, that's the whole point. Because forgiveness is unlimited. Here is our memory verse for this week. It says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Remember last week, one of the things that Pastor Peter taught us was that this kind of love, loving like Christ, has to be a habit. It has to be part of who we are. Of course, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit and not by our emotions. But it should be something we do for the rest of our lives. And the word forgive here means a favor that cancels. This is given freely, not based on any merit of the one receiving the forgiveness. So we learn, indeed, that true love forgives. And what, is the, what are the three things that we learned under true love forgives? We said forgiveness is unconditional, it is undeserved, it is unlimited. So folks, it's now time to talk about application. This is what love is. Now we talk about what love does, or in this case, forgiveness to be specific. Let me give you a few more principles about what forgiveness is and what it is not. Well, first of all, in addition to what we learn, forgiveness is the following. It's a choice. It's an act of the will, just like what we learned in the last two weeks. We should never depend on our emotions. It is a decision we make by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to God's command. It also means giving up our rights. Very specifically for most people, our quote-unquote right to get even. I'm not even saying we have such a right, 
but many people perceive that they do. But we need to give this up to God. Remember the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And finally, again, this is not comprehensive, but forgiveness is trusting God that He will use the results of the offense for good. Many of us are aware of a dear sister in Christ here in CCF who was raped when she was a teenager. And of course, that brought such deep grief and pain to their family for a long time. But apart from having forgiven her assailants, today this lady is so effective in counseling abused women precisely because God took that awful event and He turned it for good. Now, forgiveness is not forgetting, nor is it an instant pain eraser. For example, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, memory is a gift from God. So how in the world can we forget? As a matter of fact, sometimes we really should not because there may be important lessons that we can learn from that experience. For example, in the recent months, we have heard of Christian leaders, church leaders falling into immorality. Of course, we forgive them from the heart. But we also remember what lessons their lives can teach us about how we need to be careful to live lives of personal holiness. At the same time, it's not an instant pain eraser. Now, some people may experience liberation from pain as soon as they forgive. Some people may not. But the point is this. We trust God that in time, He will heal our broken hearts. Forgiveness is not condoning the offense. Another dear sister of ours was sexually abused repeatedly by someone whom her family knew, you know, when she was just a young girl. And this truly devastated her. It impacted her, even the way, you know, she'd, she'd study in school, her self-esteem, so many things. Eventually, by the grace of God, she was able in her heart to forgive the offender. But some years later, especially just before she was going to get married, with the help of her father, they confronted the offender. And she was able to tell him the devastating impact that his sexual abuse had on her for so many, many years. And that gave him the opportunity to say that he was sorry and to do whatever it was necessary to make things right. But one thing she assured him, you know what, even years ago, I've already forgiven you. I don't hate you. I am not angry at you. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. In my corporate experience, if somebody is guilty of malversation of funds, I personally forgive them. But we have to let them go because there has been a breach of trust. And it's not just about me and that person. It's also about protecting the interests of the company and the people who work there. Now, of course, in all of these cases, we need to ask for wisdom from God. What should I do? What should I not do? I'm just speaking in general terms so that we are guided well. But the most important thing is forgiveness is not impossible under the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God indeed. I'd like us now to listen 
to an amazing testimony of our brother Ken. I want him to share with us his relatively recent experience in how he was so blessed and set free once he finally got down to forgiving all of the people who had offended him over so many years in his life. Let's listen to our brother, Ken Karange. At a young age, I felt I was an unwanted son who could never be good enough. I grew up with a lot of insecurities and hated my family, especially my father. My parents would always compare me to my older siblings and openly emphasize their favorites. I also experienced physical, mental, and emotional abuse by some of our employees when my parents weren't home. When I told my parents, they would scold me instead for being a nuisance. Because of this, I looked for attention and affirmation from other people. This also fueled my desire to succeed at whatever I do. That includes excelling academically and in my school's extracurricular activities. At age eight, my mother died of breast cancer. Because of this, and because of my father's vices, our family businesses and finances took a downturn. It came to a point that we had to liquidate our properties to meet financial obligations, and I had to stop going to school for two years. My resentment towards my father grew deeper over the years. I started to live a rebellious life against him. I would curse him. I would steal money from him. I even got involved in witchcraft to hurt my family. Uncertainty about my future and not knowing how to handle the pain, the confusion, the insecurities, and the bitterness in my life, I reached my tipping point. So I set the plan in motion to end everything, to shoot my dad during his siesta time and to kill myself afterwards. But the Lord had other plans for me. On the day that I was supposed to execute my plan, I bumped into a pastor in our school. From a casual conversation, it led to the pastor sharing the gospel with me again. I surrendered my life to Jesus that day. The Lord protected me and didn't allow me to proceed with my plan. Eventually, the bank foreclosed our businesses and took all our remaining assets. We had to migrate to another province. However, that time, my father severed our relationship when I decided to move out of the house and to seek local employment and to pursue college as a part-time student. We eventually lost contact as we independently moved from one place to another. Now, fast forward by 12 years, the Lord impressed upon me to forgive and reconcile with my father. Despite my many excuses, the Lord helped me locate my father's whereabouts and reconcile me with him to share Christ to him. Little did I know that another pastor had already shared the gospel with my father, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. So on January 1, 2009, my father and I not only forgave one another and reconciled our relationship as father and son, we also celebrated our relationship as brothers in Christ. Sometime after that, I also sought the forgiveness of my older siblings. But my journey with unforgiveness wasn't over yet. There were other people who had hurt me, but they didn't obey God's command to forgive, regardless of the hurt done to me. So as a result, I experienced extended seasons of spiritual dryness, lack of desire for God's word, and lack of compassion for people. I went through a long period of deep, crippling depression. A counselor pointed out unforgiveness as one of the reasons I was going through all this. 
At first, I couldn't connect my struggles with his assessment. He encouraged me to meditate on Bible verses about forgiveness and go through the 70 times 7 study guide on forgiveness. I started to identify two individuals who had hurt me. But soon after, the Holy Spirit reminded me of other people I need, needed to forgive. Sometimes, even in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit would remind me of certain individuals and offenses that I have long forgotten, but whom I haven't forgiven. My forgiveness list had gone from 2 to 48, but each time I would forgive, the obedience was blessed with a sense of release and healing from the Lord. I've also experienced physical healing in the process. More than 10 years ago, I developed certain allergies which require me to avoid the allergic triggers and to always have an antihistamine with me wherever I go. Just when I started obeying God in the aspect of forgiveness last December, I soon discovered that I no longer had these allergic reactions. I am Ken Karange, and to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who allowed me to experience true freedom through His unconditional, my undeserved, and His unlimited forgiveness, to Him be all glory and honor. Praise God for you, Brother Ken. We are truly so very, very happy for you. And folks, those of you who are listening, this may give you an idea that you may need to do what Brother Ken did, which is to sit down before God and say, Lord, is there any unforgiveness in my heart, in my life? And to whom do I need to release forgiveness? And who do I need to get in touch with if that's actually necessary? That's one way that you and I can practice forgiveness, to kind of do what our brother Ken did. Now, there's another way of practicing forgiveness, especially in the family setting. You've probably heard this before, but this is about practicing asking for forgiveness and extending forgiveness, especially in the family setting. And you may want to follow these guidelines. Now, when you get together for your, with your family for this purpose, remember always to pray. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in advance, you need to surrender your rights. Whether it's your right to be heard, your right to be right, okay? Just surrender it and decide in advance that if you have anything against anyone in your family, or maybe it could even be in your small group, Decide in advance to forgive. And then when you get together, just ask each other, but you as the head of the family, set the example. Ask the following questions. How have I hurt you? Will you forgive me? How can I improve? And as you, as the head of the family, are listening to the feedback from your family members, remember, keep quiet, do not be defensive. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with everything that I'm hearing? And of course, be patient, trust God to work in both or in all parties. Eventually, Lord willing, this will become a way to establish openness, transparency, and accountability in your family and even in your small group. Now, I just want to stress before we end, that this whole topic of forgiveness is extremely, extremely important to the Lord. How do we know? Let me just give you one basis. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer, or some people call it the Disciples' Prayer? Look at one of the verses comprising that prayer. 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This talks about asking for forgiveness for our sins. But at the same time, we imply, we're promising God that we in turn will forgive those who sin against us. It is open-ended. It's meant to be a habit, a practice, a passing on of what we have received from Jesus. And after Jesus taught this prayer, he followed through. He said in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. You know, it makes absolute sense. It is part of God's training for us to become more like Jesus. And it's almost like what we read in the epistle of John, where he said, you know, in so many words, he said, you and I have no business claiming that we love God whom we cannot see when we are unable or unwilling to love people whom we can see. How does our story end? In verse 11, it says, Then Ziba said to the king, In accordance with everything that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. In other words, David did not say, Okay, you can eat in my room, but I'll put you in a table far away. You see, we have uh, social distancing in the palace. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, you come and eat at my table like one of my sons. Mephibosheth, the helpless enemy of David, belonging to the wrong side of the fence. David elevated him to the status as if he were one of the king's sons. You know what? Jesus gives you and me a similar invitation, an invitation to dine with him, an invitation to be in relationship with him, an invitation to personally experience his love, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. Where do we see that invitation? All the way towards the end of the Bible. In Revelation 3.20, this is Jesus talking now. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Notice the difference, however. Jesus is not inviting the person, you or me, to his dining table. Someday in heaven that will be true. But Jesus wants to join you at your dining table. He's knocking on your door. He wants to come in to your life for you to have a relationship with Him that will last you not only all of our days on planet Earth, but forever into eternity. My friend, have you ever personally experienced the unconditional, undeserved, unlimited love and forgiveness of Jesus? Because if you haven't, this entire message will not make sense to you. You may try to apply it, but you will fail because you first need to experience God's grace, forgiveness, and love yourself. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, 
if you've never, as it were, opened that door for him to come into your life, will you do that now? It will be one decision, I promise you, you will never, ever regret. Let me pray for you as you make that decision. And just tell him, Lord Jesus, this whole issue of forgiveness, it is beyond anything I've heard before. It is beyond maybe what I can fully understand in one sitting at least. And it's certainly beyond anything that I could do. But Lord, now I understand why that is so. It's because I need to receive this first from you. And so, Lord Jesus, I come clean. I come clean in your presence. You are the holy God. And yet you are also the one who took those nails into your hands so that my sins could be forgiven. And so, Lord Jesus, just as I am, I come and I open my heart, my life to you. Will you come into my life? Will you redeem me, save me, forgive me, transform me? And will you walk with me, Lord, and help me to walk after you, to follow after you all the days of my life? And then eventually I will dwell in your house forever. Thank you. I could never thank you enough for your love, your grace, your forgiveness. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. My friends, I believe the Lord has spoken to many of you. And we want to hear from you. Whether you're still struggling with forgiveness, whether you need to receive God's forgiveness and need to talk to somebody, connect with somebody, please click on the links you see below. Get in touch with us in whatever way you can. You'll see the, the guides on the screen right now. And by the way, we also have the online welcome center as was announced earlier. And we can give you the Zoom link to that online welcome center. If you're our guest and you want to talk more about your issue with forgiveness, and even if it's not your first time tuning into CCF messages, but if you want someone to pray with you, please get in touch with us, chat with us, go to the online welcome center, whatever it is, we want to hear from you. In the meantime, please stay tuned. We'll be back with our discussion questions and Sunday fast track. God bless you all.